Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and pro day season is upon us as the pre-draft process wears on. Just a quick reminder, uh, for Combine Recaps, every other podcast right now this week, they're doing one big roundup podcast episode, just kind of looking back at all the big performers. But um, what I would say is go back. We're not doing a big Combine Recap. Uh, just go back and listen to our daily recaps. Uh, myself, Gabriella DiGiovanni, we had Dane Brugler, we had uh, Greg Cosell, we had Charles Davis, uh, we had uh, Cynthia Free. From NFL Network. We had some great guests last week out in Indianapolis. We tried to keep the episodes a little bit shorter, a little bit more compact, really dive in position by position all of the top performers from the NFL Scouting Combine last week in Indianapolis. So we're not going to do a, a whole big recap. Just go back and listen to our daily reports. Who stood out from athletic testing? We always prioritize who did well in the positional workouts as well. Because uh, you're, you're we know who ran the 4-3, who jumped out of the gym, but who looked good in the ball drills and in the bag drills and all the position-specific stuff, we're going to get into that every single one of those episodes so go back into the feed you can go listen to all of the uh, the daily combine recaps uh, i promise it'll be worth your time if you have not already that said let's get into the, today's episode because we've got uh pick six with greg cosell we're gonna do two positions with greg running back and tight end right at the top of the show six players that greg has done uh on film and a few that he's really really impressed with we'll get into that with greg here in a little bit after that we've got saturday scouting with ben fennel where we've got uh five from the combine that have really stood out to him uh five players that performed out in Indianapolis because we didn't get a chance to talk with Ben out in Indy. And then we've got Dane Brugler's mock draft. We're going to break down. We'll talk a little bit of linebackers with Ben as well. So make sure you, uh, before we get into the rest of the show, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got questions, mock drafts, position rankings, you want us to break down, whatever it is, hit us there in Apple Podcasts. We will get to it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get into a pick six. Let's chat with Greg Cosell about some backs and tight ends. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, time to kick things off here with Greg Cosell for Pick 6, the senior producer from NFL Films. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And, Greg, we're going to do two positions today, three players at each. We're going to start at running back, where I first want to ask you about SEC star, a guy that was a really big part of Georgia's national championship run, Kenny McIntosh. I thought this kid had a really good workout uh, on, uh, I guess that was Sunday, at the, uh, the National Scouting Combine, Greg. But interested to kind of get your thoughts and see what you saw from him on film. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I thought that the, the best part of him on film was his receiving ability. Um, right. You know, the thing about Georgia backs, as you know, and we've seen this in recent years, is they get so many big-time four-star and five-star backs that rarely do backs get, you know, 250, 270 ca- carries in a single season for, for the Bulldogs. So, um, you know, he, he was not a guy that I think he ended his career with 279 carries. He had 76 receptions. Um you know, I think uh, the location of versatility within the formation that he brings to an offense is is really what his best trade is. He can line up in the backfield. He can detach from the formation. He can run routes at all three levels of the defense. And we know that that kind of back is certainly in demand. He's a matchup weapon in the passing game. Um, and I think his willingness as a pass protector is, you know, is also a big factor in what he is. Um, I think that as a runner, I wouldn't call him a special back as a runner, Fran. I, I don't know what you thought. I think that he does have a sense of pace and tempo in both the zone and gap scheme run games. He does have short area burst. He can uh, 
change you know speeds through the hole. I wouldn't call him a physical runner, um, but he will absolutely find a place in the NFL because he's a natural receiver. He can be a big factor in the pass game, and he's got enough running traits that you can line him up and give him the ball on occasion. I, I think you, you and I see him uh, exactly the same way. I think that he's one of these guys that, and there's a bunch of these guys in this tier every single year, and certainly here this spring, where, you know, depending on uh, what the opportunity is, he's going to be like a, you know, he could be a number one back. Like, he's got the skill set to be a three-down player, or he could be a three-down backup long-term. Like that, that I think either way, depending on what team he goes to, situation, uh, he's right. got that kind of skill set. And I think when you talk about uh, his willingness as a blocker, how confident he is as a pass catcher, he doesn't put a ball on the ground the last two years in the receiving game looked really good in those drills uh on sunday as well um this is a guy that's been a productive pass catcher over the course of his career you go back and even in big games there was the uh the the playoff game he caught the touchdown on that little wide receiver screen um he's moved around the formation like you said yeah. uh and he's got a smoothness to him you know even just kind of going through the positional workout uh this past weekend you kind of saw you he's not gonna blow you away with his big time speed he, he's not like that kind of guy but he there is a smoothness and a, a fluidity to him you talked about like the pace and tempo he has as a runner. Um, I think he's got solid vision and feel overall. He's got the ability to make people miss in a number of different ways. He's just, he doesn't have like that a trait that makes you go like, Oh, okay. Like this is what he can hang his hat on to be like a plus plus starter in the NFL. But I really like Kenny McIntosh. Yeah, no, he's going to play in the league for sure. Um, And as you said, it will become team-specific, scheme-specific. The one thing we do know is he's not going to get 18 to 22 carries a week. He's not that kind of back. He's just over 200 pounds, uh, you know, so you'd like to see him add a little bit of body armor there, get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger from that standpoint. Um, but yeah, the, the skill set is certainly intriguing, uh, and I do like uh, Kenny McIntosh. Now let's get to another one here. This guy's interesting, Greg. I- I'm interested to get your thoughts here on Syracuse running back Sean Tucker, a true junior. Uh, he was an All-American as a sophomore. Uh, the numbers dropped a little bit here this year. He went from like just under 1,500 yards to just over 1,000 yards. So um, you know, while he still reached the end zone a bunch, was not quite White is productive here in 2022, but I want to get your thoughts here on Tucker. 5'9", 207. He's a little, a little bit of a bowling ball, and he's got a little bit of juice to him as well. Yeah, I mean, he's solidly built. He's a compact downhill runner. He's got burst. He's got a strong lower half. Um, you know, I think he works well in confined space. Um, I think that, you know, he's got patience, vision. He understands the fluidity of gaps. He, you know, I think there's a refinement to the way he runs. Um, I think he can make sharp, decisive cuts. You get him to the second and third level, he's kind of a slasher and a darter. He's got that low center of gravity, as you said, given mm-hmm. that he's 5'9", and I think that helps him finish with power. He ran through tackles, good contact balance, excellent receiver as well. You know, the back who came to my mind watching Tucker was Austin Eckler, the way he was used with the Chargers. Uh, I, I don't see Tucker as, you know, a true foundation back in the sense that he's going to get 20 carries a game. But Eckler is is the Chargers feature back and he gets 200 carries. You know, th- those backs, uh, a back like that does not get 280. But I, that's that's the player he most reminded me of when I watched his tape. 
Interesting. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. I, they're a little bit different from a body type standpoint, but another guy, um, this is a little bit of a throwback for some of our listeners. Um, another guy he kind of reminded me of too was Michael Turner. Uh, when Michael Turner was in Northern Illinois, um, you know, this again, we're kind of going back a ways because he, he turned into a little bit of a different back uh, as he lost a little bit of juice. But uh, Michael Turner was the, the burner Turner when he was coming out of NIU, Greg. And this kid, uh, Sean Tucker, I mean, he runs the 60 meter at Syracuse. He's got an outstanding track background. We didn't get a chance to see him run in Indianapolis, but uh, he does have a little bit of juice. He's not a uh, like a wiggle and shake guy. I mean, he is no, a, no, more no. Of a, a contact balance guy. You mentioned like that darting run style. Everything is kind of in uh, you know short linear burst movements. But uh, I think when you look at Tucker, uh, there's definitely an NFL skill set there. No, and it's funny you say that because I said that he was a little straight line and linear, likely the result of his sprinter background. Mm. Very often sprinters um, are not as loose-hipped as you'd ideally like um, because their training is different than training for football. Um, And that's why he's not naturally shifty or elusive, but he's sort of a darter. Um, But he's a very good uh, receiver, and he does have burst. So, you know, again, he's going to play in the league as well. In some ways, he's similar to McIntosh in the sense that he'll probably be team and scheme specific as well. Yeah, one guy that certainly will be viewed this way, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this player as well, and that's UAB running back Dwayne McBride. This guy has been crazy productive as a runner these last couple of years, 32 touchdowns the last two seasons, but only five catches. He's been a, a non-factor as a pass catcher, but this guy was an All-American this year, and if you look at all of like the efficiency metrics, like all the uh, yards after contact and you know missed tackles forced and all, all of those numbers speak very, very highly of Dwayne McBride, and I think the film backs that up. He, he's a strong runner. Um, tackle, or, uh, tacklers can bounce off him at times. Uh, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts, though, on, uh, on McBride, the UAB junior. You know, I liked his tape. I mean, to me, he had the look and feel of a professional runner, Fran. Um, he's got size. He's got patience. He's got vision. He's got short area burst. He's got great balance, both in terms of body control and contact balance. And he's got play strength, and he finished. Um, and he's got extensive experience both in the zone and gap scheme run games. Um, The question is because, you know, he was a volume runner in college, obviously, and he had no impact as a receiver whatsoever. So what does that mean when you get him to the next level? Will a team see him as, oh, okay, he's he's our foundation back. He's the guy we're going to give the ball to, you know, 15, 18, 20 times a week. Um, You know, I don't think he's exactly this kind of runner, although I think there are similarities. But I thought a lot, because I love this kid coming out, and when he's played in the league, he's been very good. He he made me think of Elijah Mitchell when he came out of Louisiana. Interesting. Um, You know, he was a sixth-round pick in in the 2020 NFL draft. Um, We know what he's done when he's gotten a chance to play for the Niners when he's been healthy. Um, But I really like the way he runs. I think his balance, as I said, both body control and contact balance is pretty high level, and he just looks like an NFL back. I think the the other big one that's going to be kind of a you know I talked about the lack of pass game usage, but uh, the ball security will be an issue as well. Nine fumbles in two years. Um, yeah, another number for the kind of back he is. Like he has to be able to be a, a he has to be able to protect the football, uh, and that'll be one I'm sure teams will be uh, worried about here going through the process. Yeah, because he's a traffic runner, and yeah. when you run in traffic and confined space, you you have to protect the football. 
Yeah. He put the ball on the ground five times this year as a junior, four times last year as a sophomore, and was a, basically a, a bit player as a freshman, so didn't put the ball on the ground that year. But um, he's got to improve his ball security and then kind of prove to teams that over the course of workouts as well uh, that he has uh, some pass game chops. So um, there's the three running backs. Let's now get into a, a different position, one we have not hit on yet so far in this, uh, in this segment with you, Greg, and that's going to be the tight end spot. And I want to talk to you. About a player that I had as my number one tight end coming into the season, and it feels like uh, he had a, a giant year this year. He's an All-American, was extremely productive for Utah, and that's Dalton Kincaid. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Kincaid, uh, a guy I thought had a lot of similarities to former Eagle Zach Ertz last summer. Um, what are your thoughts on Kincaid and how he projects the NFL? Yeah, I watched him last year with his 2021 tape, and I watched him this year with his 2022 tape, and I really, really like Kincaid. Um, he's multidimensional. He's multi-positional. He can line up all over the formation. He's a weapon at all three levels. I mean, he's smooth. He's athletic. He's a strider. Uh, he's got the speed to run the vertical seam. Um, he's got body control. He's got great hands to make tough, yes. contested catches. Um, I thought his burst off the line of scrimmage and his lateral quickness to separate at the top of his route stem were really, really good. Um, you know, I... I'm not going to sit here and – it's funny. You mentioned Ertz. I think he's a more explosive mover than He's got Ertz. a little bit more juice straight line, yes. Yeah. Um, the question I had was – and, and it may, he may be that guy. And, and, you know, you know how it is when you mention a guy's name. Um, You're right, yep. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's arguably the, the best receiving tight end we've ever seen, arguably. Yep. Um, can Kincaid be deployed – in a way that's similar to Kelsey. You know, I'm talking about deployment, not the yes. exact... I'm not making an apples-to-apples comparison of exact traits. Um, but I think if a team sees him as being able to, to be deployed that way, and I'm not sure he couldn't be, based on his overall traits and skill set, then he is really a valuable asset in a passing game. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I don't think is going to be a liability as a blocker. Like, you put him out there and he's going to lose slow. He's going to win some matchups. He's not. He's going to probably going to lose more than he wins one-on-one. But uh, he does enough for you. that I, That's why I viewed him as a three-down guy coming into, the, uh, coming into the season. And I agree with you in terms of, like, the way that he can be used in the function of an – in the structure of an offense, uh, all the different places that he can line up and win – yeah, like I, there's no reason why a team can't now. It just comes down to opportunity, right? And uh, to to your point, um, this is a guy that's got he's got some route running chops. He's got the ability to to, uh, to be a really reliable receiver. I mean, just almost never puts the ball on the ground. No. Actually, even like looking at like PFF's numbers, just like shocking drop percentage. Like 1.6 percent of his passes uh, of his targets hit the ground. That's like that is a wild, wild number. Um, he's been incredibly productive. He was he was really productive uh, at his first stop at San Diego University of San Diego. Then he transfers up to Utah these last couple of years and has over 100 catches these last two seasons, 16 touchdowns the last two years. So, uh, and, he, and, and, he, and he caught through contact. He made a yes. lot of tough catches. That, and that's what's funny because the next guy we're going to talk about is Michael Mayer, who even still like is in most mock drafts. Um, you know, I've seen him. He's honestly the most popular pick for the Green Bay Packers at what are they, 16 overall? So that gives you a sense of where people think Mayer could go off the board. Um, you know, Mayer is just about the same size as Kincaid. He's an inch taller, but they're only a couple pounds separating. Kincaid's a little bit longer. Uh, I think Kincaid is certainly more athletic. Um, I, it's it's really interesting, kind of juxtaposing those two players. Yeah, and, and, you know, some would argue, I'm sure, that Mayer is, is a little more complete. Um, you know, he's not a great blocker, but I think you'd probably say he's a better blocker. A better blocker, um, yep. 
Yeah, um, he's another guy that I think can work all three levels. I wouldn't call Mayer explosive. You know, I think Kincaid has a little more juice, but but I think Mayer is comfortable striding out and accelerating. Um, another guy that catches pretty much everything, really, really good hands. That's his best um, trait, no doubt. Yeah, but I thought he did show some subtlety and detail at the top of his route stems to create separation. Um, you know, I think... Um, you know, his play speed is good. I mean, uh, I think he ran a 4.7 at, at the uh, Combine, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, 4.7 um, flat. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, not that he plays at 4.4. Obviously, he's a tight end. But I think he, he plays fast. You know, you don't feel like he's, he's you know, a measured mover. You feel like he's got a little a little juice to him. You wouldn't say he's twitchy or explosive, but he's got a little more juice to him. Um, I, I think Mayer's a good prospect. The question is, you know, is he... I'm not sure he's exactly Kincaid in, in exactly the way he can be deployed. Yeah. I, I think with Kincaid, you can move him to the slot. You can move him as an ex-ISO yeah. receiver and feel like, hey, this guy's going to win. Mayer might win on some of those occasions, but I don't think he's going to win as consistently uh, out in space as Kincaid. But you could put Mayer in line with his hand in the dirt and feel like he can compete a little bit better, a little bit longer against defensive ends and linebackers than what Kincaid can do. So I think it, it does ultimately come down to uh, what you want at the position. But uh, I think the look, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Kincaid's just got a little bit more from a, from a pass-catching standpoint, and we know the value that brings to NFL offenses in 2023. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, well, let's go to uh, the last one. And this is actually a guy I still have not gotten to, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State, who had a, a great workout uh, this weekend uh, out in Indianapolis. I want to get your thoughts here on the, uh, the, the redshirt junior tight end. He had the, the 2020 season mostly off. Uh, I want to get your thoughts here on Kraft. Uh, a Dane Brugler favorite as well. I really like – I didn't know anything about him other than he's from the same school as Dallas Goddard. Um, but I, I did not know much about him at all um, until I saw the workout. Obviously, we were we were sitting together in the dome. Um, I think he's one of the best and most complete tight end prospects in this draft class. Mm. Um, he's got athleticism. He's got receiving traits. Wait till you see him block. I mean, this kid is super competitive as a blocker. I mean, and he executes. I mean, he blocks guys for five minutes. Um, you know, again, you get into the FCS stuff, and some guys will knock him down for that. Um, I think that he's a really high-level prospect. Now, some will compare him to Goddard because the same school. Yeah, I think Goddard it was a, is a slightly better athlete than Kraft. Okay. Um, and obviously, we know Dallas Goddard with the Eagles is a very, very good athlete. Um, but I think that uh, Kraft is really, really a good uh, prospect. He was outstanding getting his, into his routes from attached and flex alignment. He generated speed quickly. He's very fluid. He's got easy stride length. He's smooth transitioning from receiver to runner. He's really competitive run after catch. I didn't think there was much not to like about this mm. guy at all. Oh, Greg, I will say I'm pretty sure Dane had him as a top 50 guy coming into the year. Um, and I don't think that there's been a lot that would change. I, he had, so I know he was. Well, it's funny you injury. say that. It's funny you say that. And, you know, obviously we spent time with Dane at the Combine. But my in my last transition line, I said, I believe Kraft will be a top 50 pick in the draft. And it would not surprise me if he went higher. There we go. 
Yeah, to me, I think you look at Kraft um, from what I know and from how you just described him. I mean, that, that's the kind of skill set you're looking for as a three-down player, an athletic player who can um, be a, a plus in the run game. Like that, those are not those those guys don't grow on trees. Um, and Kraft, I mean, he's been an extremely productive pass catcher. Uh, and if you pair that with the blocking, uh, that's a profile you can attach to. Yeah, I mean, I know you said you haven't gotten to him yet, but you will, I'm sure. Yes, and yes, of course. When you do. You'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, this guy's – you're going to love the way he plays. He's high effort, high energy, and watch him block. I mean, mm. you know, you, you look, we we can get into detail about technique and fundamentals and hand placement and foot placement. I'm certainly not going to sit here and say I'm an expert in that area. Uh, but this guy is really willing to block, and he doesn't stop. I mean, you know, and, and it's not like he's nasty in the sense that you go, man, this guy is nasty. He just doesn't stop, you know, um, and he was really kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and that's the thing is when you talk with tight end coaches, with running back coaches, wide receiver coaches, you're watching these guys uh, at the college level, and they're going to be asked to block more when you get to the NFL. How do you project that if they didn't do it often in college? And so the number one thing I'm looking for is guys that want to do it. Like if, if guys don't oh. show they want to do it, well, then you know that's going to be a little bit of a concern moving to the NFL. You know, that's a little bit more of a projection. But if a guy shows that he can do it and then he comes in, what, what did he measure in at, uh, uh, Tucker Craft. He came in he at was six, six, five, six four two and a half, two fifty four. Yeah, I mean that's so you have yeah. that size with that athleticism and that one two. Like again, that's a that's a winning combination. And in college, he did line up at boundary X. He ran vertical routes. He made tough contested catches with body control in his hands. Really good hands. Um, you know, I was I started watching this guy, and he, you know, you and I have talked about certain guys we start watching, and we start really enjoying watching them. You know, and um, and he was one of those guys. You stay late just to watch them one more game, right? Like it's a, you know. Oh, that's the way it becomes. You know, you just start watching plays because you know what they're. Fun, he's fun to watch. Yeah, well, uh, Greg, I'm glad that we were able to talk through uh, Tucker Craft and a couple of these other tight ends, uh, three running backs uh, in the books as well. We'll be back with you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Right now, uh, we've got draft buzz. Let's talk through some, uh, some combine and some linebackers here. Uh, another mock draft with Ben Fennel. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, joining us here for Draft Buzz, my friend Ben Fennel, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand. And Ben, um, real quickly, before we dive into some linebacker talk, I want to kind of take a look back to last week at the Combine. Uh, you were there, obviously, every single day for all the action. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on just five players who either surprised you or just blew you away with their workout. It could be the athletic testing portion or the position work or both. Really, take it however you want. We'll kind of speed through these, but we'll go one by one. Who's the first guy that comes uh, off the top of your mind? I think it's got to be Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell, who I thought tested extremely well. I thought he looked really good in his workout, and his measurables are really impressive. They're pretty much lockstep with a Leighton Vander Esch, who was a mid-first-round pick you know, five, six years ago out of Boise State. And I see a very similar type of player. He checked a lot of boxes with his testing. I think some people thought he was going to leave you wanting more. But I thought on film he showed more than enough athleticism, and he was just checking boxes out in Indy uh, as far as equating that to his athletic testing. He's a really good player. I don't know if he's a high-end linebacker, but I could see this guy playing for 10 years with like a you know maybe a day two type of draft capital. Yeah, you and I, I remember the exact day like you and I watched him. It was the day of Eagles uh, open practice at Lincoln Financial Field last summer. Um, we came in early. We were like, you know, let's, let's, let's watch little Jack Campbell. Uh, and I, I think when you look at him, um, the one question we had athletically was like, all right, what 
does that long speed you know, look like? Because everything else looked pretty good. And all those other tests were top-notch. And the 40-yard dash came in at 4.65, which is, like, fine, like, checking the box there. But all those other numbers were outstanding. I totally agree with you. Who's number two? Uh, it's got to be Christian Gonzalez, who yeah. I thought was going to test very similar to a Patrick Sertan, and possibly there was some buzz that he was going to top some of Sertan's numbers, and he did across the board. The broad, the vertical, the 40, all better than Patrick Sertan the second. Now, probably 10 pounds lighter. I heard he shed some weight to do these tests, but he looked pretty good and smooth in his drills, really loose hips. Had some uh, you know, some drops here and there. You know, his ball skills come and go. He is a corner out there, but I thought his testing really checked boxes, and I think he seems to be the premier uh, candidate and prospect for an alpha shutdown press corner yeah he was a guy that you know it was just good to see not just the athletic testing like you mentioned but uh to see that athleticism carry over and that's something that uh ella and i always tried to hit on last week like all right who are the guys that tested well but then having that carry over to the position drills now we're now we're really cooking and i, I thought gonzalez was one of those guys who's number three? he's only 20 years yeah. old too he turned okay. 21 in june yep. he's just a really impressive player that's a good point that's a really good point who's number three it's got to be Nolan Smith. And while he didn't do a lot of the, the field drills, his early testing with uh, the jumps and the 40 really blew people away. And I think uh, that was kind of a run the 40 and run right out the tunnel uh, type of shutdown, the workout. He really impressed me with his explosiveness and the jumps, the broad, the vertical, both elite. And then that 40 time at, you know, 6'3", 235 pounds. He is an impressive player. He's a strong player. He's technically sound. He's disciplined. He's played a lot of high-level football for the University of Georgia. It's just a matter of if you can handle a 235-pound, 240-pound defensive end, which won't be for everybody. Probably not a 4-3 base end, but probably an odd front type of end that you can get some sub-rushing out of. But he checked a lot of boxes with those first few drills. And... I didn't really need to see anything else. You know, he has a lot of film out there at Georgia, and he checks all the boxes on the tape. That's the thing is you're betting on the on him being a little bit of an outlier, obviously, with the size. But, I mean, you look right here in the NFC East, and there are a couple smaller defensive ends that have been terrorizing quarterbacks the last couple of years. Hassan Reddick and Micah Parsons, obviously, with the Dallas Cowboys, two guys that, I mean, Parsons came into the league as a linebacker, as an off-ball guy, uh, was not viewed as a, a strict pass rusher, uh, and has developed into the, you know, maybe the premier pass rusher in the NFL. Who's number four? That'd be DJ Turner, who I think was a little bit lost in this cornerback class. There's some really intriguing talent at the top and trying to figure out where Devin Witherspoon goes and Ringo and Emmanuel Forbes. And we know it's a good corner class. I just felt like DJ Turner was kind of lost in the sauce there. Now, he doesn't have the length profile of these other guys, probably a nickel at the next level. But to come out and run a 4-2-6-40 with a 1-4-7 split, huge jumps. He's a really good player. He's got really good film. He's competitive. He's feisty. I'm not willing to say he can't play on the outside, but he's more than likely probably a nickel uh, at the next level. But he really impressed me, and he's a guy that is probably on the fringe of a lot of people's top 50. Yep. But the NFL is very, very high on. I think this guy shuts down uh, top flight receivers, and he didn't get targeted a ton this year, yep. but when you watch him away from the ball – you kind of see why. He really blankets people, and if you want a press corner that's just sticky and Velcro in coverage, that's DJ Turner, just not the size and length profile you might covet. Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, I was I was disappointed we didn't get to see him go through the position workout. You know, when I watched him on film, I, and you've been in on him early. Like, you were on him, uh, like, late last spring, early last summer. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, just you, you talk about the movement skills and the ease of movement just pops off film. Almost kind of reminds me of, like, uh, what C.J. Henderson was like at Florida, where it's like elite yep. straight line and elite lateral movement. That's DJ Turner, uh, probably the best athlete in this corner group. Last I feel one. like he's not going to be for everybody, yeah. but, like, 
like, you know, the Titans took Roger McCreary and, you know, those types of teams. I think they're really going to like, believe me, I didn't see a 178 pound corner out there on tape in the Big Ten. Right. I thought he was a little bit bigger, uh, but you certainly see the speediness and the lower half explosiveness and the way he sticks the hips of receivers and getting in and out of breaks and mirroring. He checks a lot of boxes that I don't see the size uh, given a lot of problems. But my last guy here in this five pack, it's got to be Tajay Spears out of mm. Tulane who I think a lot of people are kind of confused on where to peg him, and I think the evaluation is easy. But what is the valuation, and what type of draft capital would get a Tajay Spears type of running back who I think is a top-five running back in this class? And a lot of people might have him just behind Bijan and Jameer Gibbs, and I think that's more than appropriate. I think someone's going to take him on early day two, maybe one of the first picks in round two uh, there in that kind of – 32 to 40 range he's a really impressive player now he just keeps checking all the boxes that he looks like an aaron jones type of player at 5'9 just over 200 pounds explosive loose creative he's a really good route runner can catch the ball well he's a really fun player to watch on tape i can't get enough of this kid he's really really fun to watch he's infectious both on and off the field I just don't know where the NFL values him and where someone's going to pull the trigger on him. We have the conversation about running back value and that whole deal. Yep. Uh, but he's a really good player. I could see him going to a playoff contending team and being a contributor right away. Yeah, we're going to be doing the uh, the running backs next week here on the show. And I'm, I'm excited to see just how all three of us, you, Dane, and I, all kind of uh, talk about Tajay Spears. He, he's a fun player. I know you're a fan. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about some of the traits that uh, really stand out to me, not just like the breakaway speed, but uh, just the spatial awareness and uh, um, his vision when he gets up to the second and third level, really, really impressive. I'm a fan of Tajay Spears as well. That said, before we uh, get too far down the rabbit hole of the uh, running back talk for next week, uh, Dane and I, earlier this week, we did our linebacker preview episode. So I really want to quickly hit on that group with you. And just, kind of, again, kind of a speed round here. Who is just your favorite to study on film? Not the, the guy who's the best or who's at the top of your board or who you think is going to get drafted earliest, but just the guy that you just had the most fun watching. That, that's got to be Jack Campbell, you know, and I just feel like his processing, his play ID, his, you know, block recognition, his football IQ, you see it and feel it on tape and his communication pre-snap and just the anticipation of action. That's, you know, NFL linebacker play right there. You could tell this guy's a film rat during the week and he's a step ahead of the offensive action. And that's not an accident. It's a guy that studies really well and translate that to the field. He's tough. He plays off blocks exceptionally well. He is what a linebacker is in the NFL. Maybe he doesn't have that wow, you know, holy crap type of speed and that elite 4-3, um, you know, type of ability. But that's not what you need in the NFL to play Michael Will linebacker. So Jack Campbell, his tape, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's kind of old school NFL linebacking, and that's okay. Reminds me a lot of the way, you know, T.J. Edwards played at Wisconsin, and I think the Philadelphia Eagles are sitting here laughing, you know, after the last three, four years of him at linebacker. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a guy that's complete opposite body type, you know, from maybe the, the biggest linebacker in this draft to one of the smallest, and Ivan Pace Jr. at Cincinnati. I talked about him uh, with Dane uh, the other day and made the comparison to Shaq Griffin. I think he's that kind of a player. He's kind of like a, a undersized, kind of run around, help you with your pass rush package, play on special teams. That's kind of how I view Pace, but, man, he's just so much fun to study. Like, And the projection gets tough, but uh, that is a really fun one to watch uh, when you just uh, plug that tape in. So Ivan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati would be my vote uh speaking of which uh when you talk about like day three and pace i think is probably we're looking as a, as a day three kind of prospect when yeah. you're looking at the day three guys who has the best chance to be an impact starter in your mind because you know we get it at this position especially every year yeah you know this is a tough one because it's a little bit of admitting a guy's going to fall to day three as well which means he has some deficiencies or some positional value that's going to take a back seat to other guys but i think dayon henley 
is right in that fourth round, fifth round type of range that's really going to compete when he gets in camp. I think he could play all three linebacker spots and do some sub-package roles, uh, whether it's blitzing or maybe some underneath zones. He turns and runs exceptionally well as well, being a former receiver at Nevada. thought he checked a lot of boxes with his testing. 4-5-4-40 and a 35-inch vertical is pretty solid for a 230-pound kid as a 33-inch arms. Reminds me a lot of Wesley Woodyard. If you remember him from a few years yeah, back uh, at the University of Kentucky and the Broncos, just has those like wide hips and long arms, but not the not the tallest type of linebacker, but really tough off blocks and really smooth athlete. I thought Dayon uh, looked really good in his drills. He checked all the boxes I needed testing wise. I just don't know if he has any particular trait or excitement to take him on day two. He's a guy that's going to go in round four, round five, and just give your defensive coordinator and your position coach fits about having to not play this guy. I think he's really going to compete and uh, give your team some tough decisions about, uh, you know, whether he's going to be a starter or not. Yeah, for me, it would be the guy that I talked about the other day, and so I won't go too deep here, but Dorian Williams from Tulane. Um, you know, he, he was my guy in the, when we talked about, like, potential day three starter, uh, and I stand by that. I, I think that he is a guy that can be a three-down player. Um, just even going back through and buzzing through his film uh, just yesterday, uh, and this is a guy that is a ton of fun to watch. He's big. He's long. Um, he's got outstanding uh, closing speed. You see the, the ability to make sideline-to-sideline plays. He's a fun player, kind of similar to Henley, where it wouldn't shock me if either yeah. one ended up on the back end of day two. Um, but if either one falls to day three, I think the team could potentially. Dorian in that 80-inch wingspan is just ridiculous. Yeah. And he is a overwhelming blitzer at the senior bowl. Nobody could slow him down when he was coming forward. Has really good range. He's an interesting prospect, too. He's just over six feet tall. But, again, long arms and broad shoulders. Gets from A to B in a hurry. Checks a lot of boxes. Again, I just don't know if anyone's going to covet him on day two. But he's a guy that people are sprinting up on day three to go get him in round four or five. All right, favorite linebacker team fit for the guys at the top of the draft. So you look at your, like your top five linebackers, you know, top six, seven, whatever it is. Which team yep. fit do you love for for one of them? Well, the first thing I think you have to sort through, you know, who's going to need some linebackers. You know, it could be the Vikings, them getting rid of Kendricks. You know, uh, the Steelers probably looking for their linebackers of the future. The Giants could obviously use some upgrades. Here in Philadelphia, we have to see, you know, Kaiser White and TJ Edwards. Um, but I think Trenton Simpson to the New York Giants would be a really good fit. You know, considering all the man coverage that Wink likes to play out there, considering all the blitzing from the second and third levels, I just feel like Simpson is that athletic linebacker that you don't have to take off the field. And I know Wink loves his dime and dollar packages and getting speed and man coverage guys out there. Well, Trenton Simpson's a little bit of a different cat as far as being a, an off-ball linebacker. He has really good man coverage skills, really good range, really good explosiveness. The fact that he ran you know, in the 4-4s four at his size is really impressive. I just feel like that's the type of linebacker they're looking for out there in New York. And what I also like about that fit, too, is that if it's not like clicking right away, like in base downs where you want to be able to play in the box from a stacked role and like kind of process through stuff, you might be able to say, hey, you know what? When we go into sub, like he is our dime backer. And now that's like, all right, like things are a little bit more crystallized there where it's like, all right, like you're man-to-man on the back. You're going to be a blitzer. You're, you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like that might uh, kind of help him. His first uh, early role may just be spy the quarterback exactly. on third down. Yep. That's your guy. You know, stay with him type of thing and could fall into – you know, seven, eight, nine sacks doing that type of role on third down. He's done that uh, at Clemson. For me, um, I'm going to go Noah Sewell to uh, the New England Patriots because watching Sewell last uh, summer one. even, I remember like thinking like, yeah, like this guy looks just like a, the, the, your next Patriots second-round pick. Um, you know, and I think when you talk about like you know, he's more of a throwback in terms of his size, playing off the ball as a stacked player, uh, but then what he can do, you know, coming down as a defensive end, uh, you think back to like Dante Hightower and what he, all the things that Hightower did for Bill Belichick. I think that Sewell can do all of those same things. 
things. Um, you know, initially, I think Sewell was talked last summer as like a, a top 15 type pick. I, I think clearly that's not going to happen. But I think if you start getting into round two, round three, I think you can start finding that kind of specialized fit for him. And a defense like New England's, I think, would make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, been kind of a designer pick, and that's certainly you know the the type of linebacker Belichick and those types of uh, recruiters and evaluators have coveted you know throughout the years. All right, well, let's get to our mock draft roundup here. And we teased it earlier this week. We are going to break down uh, Dane Brugler's mock draft over at The Athletic. But by the way, like uh, I actually almost thought, Ben, about doing like a dueling mock draft segment because we saw mock drafts come out on, I think it was Tuesday, from Dane Brugler, Todd McShay, and Lance Zerline. Just a, a bunch of mock draft content out there um, for those who are so inclined. But let's go through Dane's here. The top five picks, he's got the Indianapolis Colts trading up to number one to select Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young, the quarterback from Alabama goes off the board at number two to the Houston Texans. At number three, the Arizona Cardinals stay put and select edge rusher Will Anderson from Alabama. The Carolina Panthers trade up to number four to take Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. And the Seattle Seahawks stay put and take defensive tackle Jalen Carter from Georgia at number five. So, Ben, uh, we're starting to see uh, we, the, uh, the, the trade wins are definitely uh, screaming right now. It seems like Chicago uh, almost certainly going to be moving out of that number one spot. Here, it's the Colts that move up. Chicago, uh, I thought that this was actually notable here too, Ben. In two of those three mock drafts, both in Dane's mock draft and in Todd's mock draft, the Bears trade down not once but twice uh, in those mocks. I think that's kind of notable as well. I wonder if that's something that was picked up uh, out on the, uh, the mean streets of Indianapolis. Yeah, and I can definitely see that happening as the Bears are not one piece or two pieces away from competing. You need a lot of help. You need to improve and flip that roster. So you need to attack it with numbers and quantity so a double trade down i could absolutely see happening but with the colts moving up to one that means it's their pick of the litter yep and i think everybody wants to know you know shane steichen he's a guy that's coached philip rivers justin herbert and jalen hurts what type of quarterback does he want you know i have a really tough time i see three completely different quarterbacks there and i just have a really tough time figuring out what he covets for his scheme most obviously cj stroud is my quarterback one i think he would fit in any system i think one of the big kind of uh, peeling the layers back to these new coaches are what do they want for their systems? Yeah, he uh, he was spoke at the podium on uh, I want to say it was Wednesday in Indianapolis, and just talking about you know, you know the, the thing about that is like all those guys had the intangibles. So who are the guys that stand out from that end of it? Uh, you know, I think that's always an important part of the equation. I well. like Stroud in Carolina with Reich and an Anthony Richardson, which they can just bring over the Eagles playbook and they can work in all the QB run stuff, the vertical shot stuff on the outside. We'll see if they have man coverage beating receivers to throw them to or not, but... Uh, we'll, we'll save that QB talk for another day. Yeah, no question. Well, let's get into uh, who the Eagles select here because the Eagles actually trade down in this mock draft uh, from Dane Brugler. He trades them down from number 10 to number 14. The Patriots move up. I believe they took Peter Skaronsky. Um, so the Eagles at number 14, they pick up an extra third rounder and a fifth rounder next year, and they take Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon. Here's the – or they take uh, – I'm sorry. I don't know why I have that written down. They take Texas running back Bijan Robinson here uh, in this mock draft from Dane. And here is the uh, the blurb here from Dane. Talking to league folks in Indianapolis, it was almost unanimous. Uh, no one sees the Eagles drafting a running back at number 10. However, several mentioned the possibility they trade back and how it would make the, uh, the running back idea more palatable for general manager Howie Roseman. Last year, Philadelphia used the number 13 pick on a nose tackle Jordan Davis, a position many believe can be found outside of the first round. The Eagles saw the value because of Davis's unique talent. This could be a similar situation. The value of a running back this early in the draft is a disputed topic. 
topic, but a talent like Robinson alters the equation. So, Ben, um, you know, since the, uh, since the offseason has begun, I've been tracking a lot of these mock drafts and just getting a sense of, all right, who do the, the, the big names in draft media think the, the Eagles are taking, other teams around the Eagles, who are they taking? Bijan has become the most popular choice uh, from the, from big draft media uh, with this first first round pick, um, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, he is a uh, potential game changer at the running back position. Yeah, I would have no problem taking Bijan in the top ten with the tenth pick, trade down to the fourteenth pick. You want to get him at one forty four? Great. I think Bijan Robinson's a heck of a prospect, NFL made, ready to play contributor. And now it's just your pure philosophies on your team need, your competitiveness, and your uh, positional value. But if you're a team like the Philadelphia Eagles with some extra draft capital and ready to contend again next year, they seem to be a power back away from having another really elite roster. So obviously free agency still needs to uh, come and go, and the, the dust will settle a little bit there. But Bijan in this scheme... That's an exciting proposition and one that I would have no problem with the 14th overall pick. And that's the thing, too, is that typically if a running back going high in the draft, they're going to a bad team, right? And so the, their prime years are going towards a, a rebuilding squad. Uh, that would not be the case, obviously, here in Philadelphia. Let's go to um, three guys that went off the board just before and three that went off the board right after. So who's like you know, in this range? At number 11, the Tennessee Titans selecting Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson. At 12, the Houston Texans taking Georgia pass rusher Nolan Smith. And the Jets at number Number 13, taking Georgia left tackle Broderick Jones. At number 15, the Green Bay Packers selecting Alabama defensive back Brian Branch. Uh, Dane has him slotted as a nickel corner there. At 16, the Washington Commanders taking Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon. And at 17, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Penn State corner Joey Porter Jr. So, uh, Ben, as we sit here uh, now in the, uh, the second week of March, which of these picks are you writing in pen instead of pencil? Which one do you feel best about? Well, I like the Brian Branch of the Green Bay Packers pick there. And I know they're, you know, obviously forecasting maybe having some extra draft capital if they trade Aaron Rodgers. There's a chance that the Jets kick that can down the road as they're a team that's ready to contend. But uh, Brian Branch is a Packers team that may be looking to revamp the nickel, the strong safety, and the free safety mm-hmm. in one offseason. They picked up Darnell Savage's option. We'll see where that, obviously, relationship goes. Hasn't lived quite up to the first-round uh, pick that uh, they had hoped years ago but Brian Branch is a guy I think can play six defensive back spots for you one of the smartest players in this draft and you know don't get so concerned with that high four five four six speed he's a guy that plays so much faster because of his football IQ his instincts his intelligence he's a guy I think is going to make a lot of plays on Sundays yeah for me it would be Broderick Jones uh, the left tackle from Georgia going to the New York Jets just feels like uh, that has been a match that a lot of people have been making Um, but to your point uh, a potential Aaron Rodgers trade probably throws that pick in the garbage can anyway so uh, something to keep an eye on here in the, I don't in the know day. what the Jets feel about their offensive line situation. Right. Like we just keep throwing offensive linemen at this thing. You know, it was Mikai Becton back or is he not? Is Dwayne Brown back? Is he not? Is Vera Tucker going to kick out to the outside or not? George Fant back, who they played a lot of money last year. They weren't. It wasn't for lack of trying. They right. had some injuries and some tough situations last year. They obviously need to revamp that old line a little bit, but they still have some some guys in the in the hen house there that I think can still play. All right, well, speaking of offensive linemen, let's uh, move to the Eagles' second pick here in the first round. At number 30 overall, Dane has them selecting Tennessee tackle Darnell Wright. Here is the blurb from Dane. The Eagles are going to draft a trench player with one of their first-rounders, right? Most would assume that move up front would come on defense, but don't rule out an offensive lineman if the fit is right. Wright would be able to step right in and compete for a start for starting reps at guard while also being the long-term answer at tackle. He checks a lot of boxes for what Philadelphia covets at the position. Tennessee offensive tackle Darrell Wright 
ran a 5-0-1 second uh, 40-yard dash at 333 pounds, the third fastest among, uh, fastest among offensive linemen weighing at least 330 pounds at the Combine since 2003. It was an impressive time. And he had a great positional workout as well, Ben. Um, that's, that's my uh, editorial, not, not Dane's. Um, but just your, your thoughts on right here. I mean, at this point, like, is he even there, number 30? It feels like there's been a lot of the buzz has been pointing to him going uh, higher than this and maybe even significantly higher. I think a lot of these tackles are going to get bumped up, whether it's Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison, Dewan Jones. I think it drops off a cliff after the first six, seven tackles. It's going to be does, some teams yeah. that need need some starter uh, you know, tackle capital, and I think they're all going to get bumped up over the potential linebackers, over the tight ends that it's a much deeper day two class, potentially over the running backs like Jameer Gibbs, potentially over some of the receivers, you know, like Quentin Johnston and Josh Downs and guys like that are going to find themselves on day two. If you need a tackle, do not wait because if you think you go snag one on day two, they're going to be dried up and you're going to be wishing you uh, plucked one either in the first round or in free agency. Yeah, it's a uh, he, he's a good player. Daniel Jeremiah had just tweeted out earlier this week. He said, you know, uh, every step of the process, Darnell Wright is check the box. He had great film this year as a senior, shut down Will Anderson. He goes to the Senior Bowl, has a great week in Mobile, goes to the Combine, does a great job there. So um, just uh, every the arrows seems to be pointing up there on Darnell Wright, uh, the tackle from Tennessee. Here are the six players that went before and after uh, that pick. At 26, the Dallas Cowboys selecting tight end Dalton Kincaid from Utah. At 27, the Buffalo Bills selecting Arkansas linebacker Drew Sanders. Your boy Anton Harrison, the tackle from Oklahoma, he goes off the board at 28 to the Cincinnati Bengals. The New Orleans Saints at 29 take Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brezzi. And then at 31, the Kansas City Chiefs selecting Dewan Jones, the right tackle from Ohio State. So, Ben, I ask you, of those six picks, which one made you kind of go, ooh, you, you, you could definitely see that player team fit? Well, let's go right to the AFC Championship game because they're two teams with franchise quarterbacks and the Bengals and Chiefs, tons of weapons, ready to compete again. Do not neglect those big uglies in front. You know, the Chiefs completely revamped all five after 2020 in that Super Bowl. These are teams that are willing to commit to the offensive line year in and year out. Cincinnati replaced four out of the five last year. Still had a rough season. Still had to play a lot of backups. Still are looking for, you know, long-term starters. So if you have teams and franchise quarterbacks and weapons and ready to contend do not neglect that offensive line i think smart teams and smart roster building teams like the Bengals and the chiefs they're going to keep going back to that well and for all the reasons i just mentioned uh, about those tackle prospects maybe drying up on day two well it's looking like the chiefs and orlando brown are you know due for a breakup cincinnati's not too happy with lyle collins out there at right tackle these are contending afc championship teams that need some offensive linemen so I can absolutely see Anton Harrison going to the Bengals, Dewan Jones going to the Chiefs, or for all I care, flip them and mishmash them, you know? Yeah, for me, I looked at uh, Kincaid going to the, the Cowboys at 26, and I was like, oh, you know what? I, I hadn't really thought of that because everybody seems to be mocking, uh, you know, wide receiver, running back, a popular one for the Cowboys, corner. Uh, we've seen linebacker Drew Sanders there. We've seen some defensive linemen. So you go all across the board. But this is a team, obviously, that needs playmakers. And if you're not in love with any of the receivers that fall at tw- to that point at 26, why not go for Dalton Kincaid, right? I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they've got their, their number one tight end is going into free agency. Uh, they franchise tagged him last year. You know, do they decide that they obviously did not decide to do that again? So you might go into this saying, all right, well, let's get Kincaid. I mean, go apples for apples and replacement. And he could be a, a big time weapon here for Dak Prescott. So I, I liked the Kincaid fit there from Dane Brugler. Now, um, Real quick, before we get to uh, before we close this up, your favorite offensive or defensive lineman team fit 
in this mock draft? You're looking at the trenches, uh, either side of the ball, which one kind of caught your eyes like, oh, I really like this fit in this mock draft? Well, I think it's the Houston Texans taking Nolan Smith at 12 overall, and I think he's that level of prospect. I think he could sneak into the top 10, and for all intents and purposes, that Houston line, it's a blank slate. So I love seeing a CEO type of prospect in Nolan Smith, which is what I call him. I think he's a culture changer, a team changer, a locker room changer, a guy you can sell on the field and off the field, and to walk away with a draft with Bryce Young and Nolan Smith to the Houston Texans. Those are two picks that turn your team around, your roster around, your philosophy around, the feel of your team around. So I think Nolan Smith's a heck of a prospect. It's one of the higher, uh, you know, mockings I've seen, 12th overall. Can I say that? I just, you know, I, the popular pick for the Texans at 12 has been one of the wide receivers, you know, whether it's, sure, uh, yeah. you know, whether it's Quentin Johnson or Addison or whoever it is, right? I really would be shocked, I think, if they went wide receiver at 12. You know, they, they said this multiple times last year in that, in that draft that uh, this, they are a meat-potatoes team in terms of how they want to build it. And Nick Casario comes from New England. We know that that's, a, you know, that's the way they want to build this franchise. So, yeah, you're going to take the quarterback high. But to me, like, I'm thinking offensive or defensive line here at number 12. They, they shocked everybody when they went Kenyon Green in the middle of round one a year ago. It would not shock me if it's a Nolan Smith, if this is Lucas Van Ness, if this is a tackle, right? Like, um, it would not shock me if that's the direction that this team went. And I, so I, I looked at Nolan Smith, and I was like, yeah, this one uh, really does make a lot of sense. I do love that one a and, lot. And I don't know if there's any receivers worth that spot. You know, right. I think if you start considering some guys, I can find you some options on day two. Exactly. I don't think there are a whole lot of Nolan Smiths on day two. So I think you have to kind of weigh the positional depth, and that edge group is going to dry up quick. The Texans have uh, plenty of ammunition for sure in this draft. Um, I also love the Kalaja Kansi pick at number 18 to Detroit. Uh, and you may, you know, he talked about, hey, Brad Holmes was in L.A. when they took Aaron Donald, uh, so he's seen the undersized D-tackle uh, up close. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. But just even um, just looking at the way that the Lions are built, the kinds of players that they have selected in the past, uh, Kansi, I think, fits. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes there for that team. So I really like that fit as well. Uh, ben, before we cut you loose, uh, just a name or two or three uh, that Dane left out of this mock draft. I know you're always, uh, well, that's one of the first things you look at with this mock draft yeah here are the 31 guys that went but uh who are some of the names that were not in this piece yeah and with the thrusting up of some tackles there in the back end like darnell wright anton harrison dewan jones like i said that means some guys are going to get pushed out i think ringo has kind of been a candidate to be pushed out as dane has him here off his first round mock but the receivers jalen hyatt quentin johnson josh downs who i think are all first round worthy receivers especially on the back end they're all going to be available on day two. You know, Quentin Johnson, and that yeah. also means a, a Trenton Simpson's falling to day two. A Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs yep. will be a premier, you know, a dual threat running back early on day two. So some really good players are going to uh, find themselves, uh, you know, hanging on until Friday if uh, a lot of these tackles go on the back end. That's a really good point. Uh, some good names there, obviously, once you get into day two, as always. Well, Ben, uh, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Uh, we will be back next week here. I, I mentioned earlier we're going to be doing a running back preview myself, Dane. Brugler. We've got uh, a full slate of action coming at you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.